Now, just two things before we look into God's Word together. First of all, a thank you for the past year of generosity on your behalf. Our fiscal year as a church ends with the end of next month, the end of June. And thus far, in addition to giving over $2 million to the Next Gen campaign, you have sustained all of the costs of doing ministry here and have done it so very, very well. We're in a very good position. June will be the last month of the year. So just a reminder, if you're away, vacationing, whatever, still remember to contribute faithfully to God's Word and God's work so that we can finish this fiscal year in a really solid footing and embrace the challenges the Lord has for us in the year ahead. And then this past week, I taped what we call Transforming Conversations. You find them on our website and on our app. And this week, Greg Hughes, who is the host of that, uh, those things are entirely unrehearsed, asked me to respond to something he had read in the book of James about how the tongue often sets the course of a person's life. And it often sets the course of their life with an agenda that has its origins in hell. And we talk about the reality that many times a harsh word, a predictive word, a condemning word, a rejecting word spoken to us early in life by somebody of significance in our life or by the culture can effectively set the course of our life emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. So we talk in that transforming conversation about what do you do if that's your situation? How do you break free of that? So if you're in that scenario, if you know somebody who is in that scenario, please refer them to that latest transforming conversation because there is a clear path you can follow to experience God's release, God's freedom, and let Him set your agenda rather than some false word that was spoken to you or over you. Well, now it's time for our study of God's Word. And one of the reasons we're here today is because we believe God's Word is relevant. But that being said, I suspect there are some aspects of its relevance that we would just as soon learn secondhand from somebody else's testimony rather than firsthand from our own experience. Let me give you an example. I think most of us would rather learn about incredible patience by reading the testimony of Job rather than walking through a life circumstance like that of Job. Amen? Much rather, I'll take it at your word, Job, than experiencing it yourself. Well, another example would be the area of our focus today that comes out of our study of the Old Testament book of Daniel. It's those passages that testify to God's ability to keep our souls and our faith intact when we're facing intense persecution at the hands of governing authorities. Now, such persecution is a daily reality for a growing number of believers in an increasing number of places. We read about martyrdom, churches being burned, persecution, imprisonment, torture. It's not a daily reality for the believers in this room. We still enjoy incredible freedom and privilege. But there are signs that it may not always be other believers 
who are being persecuted. One day it may be us. And I say that because animosity towards the gospel of Christ and God's people is increasing in this culture. And we increasingly hear cries to effectively require the surrender of the church or the silence of the church. And I would remind you, if the church is silent, it has surrendered. So while today's account is a long-ago testimony from the life of Daniel, it is a reality for many in our world, and one day may be our reality. So that's why we need to take it to heart. With that, we're in chapter 6, and it gives us a very familiar story, a Christian classic, the story of Daniel in the den of lions. To launch us into our study, let me read Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, we'll explain that, he entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. I've entitled our study today, Daniel Kept Praying. Would you say that with me? Daniel Kept Praying. And now let's us pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, in these coming moments, I am totally incapable of carrying out the charge I have been given. Apart from your Holy Spirit, I cannot preach and teach your truth. But I don't have to do it apart from your Holy Spirit. Your Spirit is present. I would simply ask for a fresh equipping for this moment, and I ask for all of us the ability that only the Holy Spirit can provide to understand what you're saying to us and then apply it in obedient faith. As always, we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his honor. Amen and amen. And as we listen for God's voice together this afternoon, may the Lord be with you. Today's story unfolded when Daniel was somewhere in his 80s. And it offers proof that while aging may produce hardening of the arteries, it doesn't have to produce hardening of the categories. What do I mean? We don't have to be resistant to change just because we've been around the block a few times. The reality is a close walk with God enables us to accept change in how we live out God's unchanging truth. And Daniel provides a wonderful model of that. He had served in the Babylonian Empire and had served, you'll remember, with excellence, holding one of the highest positions in that empire. But as we saw last weekend, that empire fell in one night. It was conquered by the Persians. Now, the Persians knew an excellent civil servant when they saw one, and they knew Daniel was one. And he was quickly offered one of the top posts in the new government. But rather in his age, allowing his age to spark a resignation, rather than declining, saying, you know, I've been around a long time, the whole, everything's changed, it's a new language, it's a new ruler, new system. No, Daniel accepted a top government post. 
because as long as he had breath, he was going to serve God, and he could serve God inside of any government. But it soon became apparent that the faith that produces godly servants within human culture may eventually make them the hated targets of that culture. And so it was that despite his advanced age, his high profile, his high position, his exemplary track record, Daniel was about to face very stiff opposition and persecution. He was about to be reminded of something he hadn't forgotten, something that he knew full well. Godly living doesn't end persecution. It often provokes it. And that's why those who seek to live in uncompromised devotion to God eventually learn that our initial commitment to God has to be continually renewed in the face of new challenges. Now, a wonderful example of this is found in the life of Joshua. You remember after Moses died, Joshua led the people of Israel in their conquest of the land God had given them. And after they had been effective and successful, when Joshua was an old man, near the end of his life, he gathered together the warriors who had fought under him. And they were old men in the final chapters of their life. And you remember what he said to them? He said, choose this day whom you will serve. We we hear that verse, choose this day whom you will serve. And, And we picture God saying that to young people as they're plotting the course of their life. But it was said by an old believer to other old believers after they had demonstrated their choice again and again and again. Joshua recognized that with every new challenge, we have to make a new choice. Very similar to a marital relationship. You stand at an altar and you make that initial lifetime commitment to your spouse. But every time an adversity, a conflict arises, you have to re-up that commitment. You have to flesh that commitment out all over again. Well, the new Persian ruler was a guy named Darius. And he decided that not only would Daniel fill a top post, he was going to give him the top post. And it quickly proved to be a very controversial decision. Here's why. First of all, jealousy. In political circles, jealousy is common. Because in political circles, recognition, face time, is everything. Second, the ever-present resentments of racism. See, the Jewish exiles, including Daniel, had lived in that region, what was once Babylon, now part of the Persian Empire. They had lived there, served there for over 50 years. But tragically, they were still seen as outsiders and a threat to Persian identity, Persian nationalism, and Persian group pride. Third, the ever-present love of power and money. The other politicians in Persia knew that Daniel was a man of uncompromised, impeccable character. And if he was given the top post, he would immediately begin to weed out corruption. And that was going to affect their bottom line. But there was something more behind their hostility toward Daniel. Something bigger than jealousy bigger than racism, bigger than the love of power and the love of money and greed, 
Something spiritual was behind the persecution. Daniel's uncompromised devotion to God. Scripture tells us and history affirms that the world resents and opposes those who refuse to conform to its playbook, those who refuse to march to the beat of its drum, because the words and the actions of God's people that are contrary to the prevailing words and actions of culture testify to a worldview that is radically different than the one that unbelievers have embraced and in which they are heavily invested. To put it differently, the Christian message is really disturbing if you're on the wrong side of it. If you're on the right side of it, it's very comforting. If you're on the wrong side of it, you probably got to hate it. Uh, that's why Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. You either love me or you hate me. There's no spiritual Switzerland. There's no neutrality. And that's why people generally seek to discredit and silence anything that disturbs them. And in this case, it was Daniel's life and his witness. So in the aftermath of his promotion, the political intrigue in Persia shifted into high gear. And in maneuverings that sound oddly like today's headlines, remember, there's nothing new under the sun, those Persian civil servants began to search for grounds to bring charges against Daniel to have him disqualified and dismissed. But just as Caesar many years later could find no fault in Jesus, they couldn't find any fault in Daniel. He hadn't become anybody's puppet. He hadn't risen to power through connections, compromises, favors, payoffs, pack monies, backroom deals, or advantages. The truth is, as a Hebrew exile, he was at a distinct disadvantage in the Persian Empire. His rise to power was solely on the basis of God's favor in his life and his character and his track record. Daniel was a model employee. Why? Because long before Paul instructed us to do so, Daniel understood that whatever we do, we are to do it as unto the Lord. Not for our employer, not for our employees, but as unto the Lord. That's something my father taught me, and I had a chance to apply it between my sophomore and junior years of college. I'm a native of Butler, and back in that day, the Pullman Standard Plant manufacturing railroad cars was very, very active, running three shifts a day. And I got a job at Pullman Standard for the summer to help earn money toward my college education. And after the first two months, they had a layoff, and they laid me off from the department I was in, and I said, I, I still want to work. Do you have anything for me? They said, cleaning. Are, are you willing to just take a broom and a shovel and clean in the factory? I said, I'll do anything for pay. So with that, I became a part of the night shift, the midnight to eight shift cleaning crew. And I discovered my first evening that all the other guys on that same shift would clock in disappear to a little hut where they would play roulette all evening, and then they would clock up and collect their paycheck. Well, I couldn't do that. Company was paying me for eight hours of work. I had to give them eight hours of work. 
So I got my broom and my shovel and I began to clean in the factory, which led them to say, Red, because when you have red hair and work anywhere, <laughs> people don't know your name. You're just red. Okay. Once in a while I'd answer, black, blonde, brown. You know, I do have a name, but they said, Red, what are you trying to prove? You trying to make the rest of us look bad? Don't be a fool. They aren't paying you enough, yada, 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 yada. But I kept sweeping and I kept shoveling. And, and that so bothered some of them. I remember one day we had large cranes that ran overhead in the factory. And a crane operator came over the area I had just cleaned. I had everything looking spick and span. And he took a large-sized garbage bag of paper confetti and dumped it from the heavens and then laughed and went on and said, Red, you're crazy. But when I collected my paycheck, I didn't collect it at the compromise of my faith. And I simply want to pause in the midst of this study to remind you that believers should be model employees and model employers. And if we suffer persecution, it should be in response to our godliness, not our laziness or our poor performance. Some of the most real tests of our faith are the practical ones. Well, Daniel's enemies knew that they couldn't find charges against him in his conduct. He had been loyal and a man of uncompromised character. So here's what they said. Their words, they said, we'll have to find charges in the law of his God. Now, what did they mean? We'll have to base the charges on what he believes and his uncompromised practice of what he believes. They decided to use his faith, his belief system, and his character against him. So they made a proposal to Darius, one that was actually contrary to Persian law, but hey. Persians allowed conquered people to worship their own gods and rebuild their temples. That's why the Persian ruler, Cyrus, sanctioned the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. We read about that in the books Ezra and Nehemiah. Now, in total contradiction of that well-established policy, those jealous politicians proposed a 30-day period during which prayer to any person or any god other than Darius, do you hear the flattery, would be punished by a gruesome death in a den of lions. So here's what they did. They created an intentional conflict between the laws of God and the laws of Persia. Now, if you're paying attention, there are folks currently attempting to do something similar to that in our culture. It appears they want to silence the church and its message under the cloak of legality. In the name of tolerance, which they don't understand, civility, democracy, the common good, they want to essentially violate the freedom of religion clauses in the Constitution by enacting legislations that would essentially require believers to honor human laws that violate God's laws or face stiff consequences. A clear example, there are those who want to equate the proclamation of the gospel with hate speech and thereby make it the basis for prosecution. That's why I say this tale is relevant. Now let's get back to the tale. Have you noticed that fools are suckers for flattery? 
You flatter a fool, you can get anything from them. And that's what happened with Darius. Much like current contemporary congressional representatives who approve a bill without reading it or without thinking through all of its implications, having been so flattered, Darius signed the legislation. And he would quickly regret his action, but the deed was done because once a Persian law was in place, you could not repeal it. And the irony is he had been tricked into doing something that was to his own detriment. Here's why I say that. Scripture tells us that the prayers of a righteous man accomplish a great deal. And you can be certain Daniel was praying for the ruler over him, Darius. Darius made it illegal for Daniel to pray for him and basically guaranteed that if he did, his life would end. See, the reality is the sins we commit to try to benefit ourselves always come back and bite us in the butt. Now, earlier, Daniel's three friends, you remember, had refused to commit the ungodly act of kneeling before a symbol of the state. In this case, Daniel was simply prohibited from doing a godly act, praying to God. And if Daniel wanted to avoid trouble and persecution and death, all he had to do was stop praying for 30 days. I'd like to suggest many believers do that now without any threat hanging over them. But Scripture says when we know the right thing to do and don't do it, that's sin. But beyond that, if Daniel would have ceased praying, he in essence would have been saying the state has priority over God. Whereas to continue to pray would be a declaration that God has priority over the state. So Daniel kept praying. His prayers were not only an act of obedience, they were an act of political activism and political defiance. And I simply want to say at this point, as somebody who has appealed for the recognition that our relationship with Jesus ought to motivate us to seek greater justice in our culture, I'm now seeing more and more people become aware of that and become passionate about that, but many times they don't couple it with prayer. Instead, they couple their new passion with snarky posts on social media, reaming out anybody who doesn't agree with them, who isn't as enlightened and as woke as they are. And I simply want to remind you, you never accomplish God's good purposes by using the devil's toolbox. You're not going to change anybody's opinion by a snarky post. They'll just dig in deeper in their opinion. Prayer will change things. A whole lot less snark and a whole lot more prayer would make a big difference. So if you're going to be an activist for things that lie close to the heart of God, which we should be, go about it God's way, not the world's way, or you become part of the problem rather than part of the solution. See, I think this is why Paul later in 1 Timothy linked two commands, the one to submit to those who are governing us and the one to pray for them. And I like to remind people when Paul said, pray for those who are governing you, he was under Caesar. Caesar was a piece of you-know-what. 
We don't say it in church, but you all know what I'm referring to. <laughs> Caesar would destroy people, slaughter people, and not lose a minute of sleep. He was a horrible ruler, an oppressor. And Paul said, pray for whoever is governing you. And he didn't put, unless it's Caesar, unless it's a loser, unless it's a corrupt person. The reality is, if you're under the rule of a corrupt person, you need to pray more. So Daniel kept praying. Daniel understood that prayer puts politics in the right perspective, in a position subordinate to God. And that's something a lot of folks struggle to do. They say God over politics, but they act like it's politics over God. I want to emphasize something. Praying for those in authority doesn't mean we shouldn't pray against their decisions. Both are appropriate. Don't you suspect Daniel continued to pray for Darius? I do. But I also suspect he passionately prayed against Darius's foolish edict and the way he had been taken in by people who flattered his ego. But either way, Daniel kept praying three times a day with his windows open toward Jerusalem. That was a symbolic act whereby he was saying, as Solomon suggested years earlier, my hope lies in the living God. It wasn't some magical thing that if you faced a certain direction, God would hear your prayers. No, it, it was a symbolic act. And as he prayed, he thanked God. Don't blow over those words quickly. He knew he was facing a lion's den, but he thanked God. And he didn't know the end of the story. He didn't know he was going to walk out of there. He thanked God. But Daniel kept praying. He kept his windows open knowing people were watching and that those open windows would open the door to him going to the lion's den. But Daniel kept praying. Now, the rest of the story is so well known, I could pluck any of our children out of children's ministry and they could finish the sermon. You might be better off if we did that. <laughs> Daniel's enemies reported his activity to Darius, and when he subsequently learned what his edict was going to mean for his top man, he tried to find a way around it, but he could not. Like Pontius Pilate many years later, Darius was forced to sacrifice an innocent man on the altar of political expediency. And that still happens almost every day. The order was given and Daniel was thrown into a lion's den. Now, I don't know if you've ever caught this, but from that point forward, the story almost reads like a preview of Jesus' burial and resurrection. They put Jesus' body in a tomb, sealed it with a big stone. They put Daniel in the lion's den and sealed it with a big stone. Sunday morning, women came to the tomb. The next morning, Darius came to the den of lions. And he called for Daniel. Wouldn't you like to know what he was thinking? I mean, nobody survived being thrown into a den of hungry lions. 
lions got to do what lions got to do. I mean, nobody had ever survived that. That was, that was guaranteed gruesome death. So why would he call for Daniel's name? Got a hunch maybe he had already seen enough in that man that he thought maybe, just maybe, what he's talking about is real. Because one thing we can know, whatever gods he was worshiping, they didn't get him through the night. And they never delivered on their promises. But he saw something. So he calls for Daniel, and Daniel answers. And at that point, Darius wet himself. <laughs> Doesn't say that, but I'm sure that's what happened. <laughs> Daniel was still alive. And he answered with respect, O king, live forever. He didn't answer and say, you beep, beep, beep. You got beep, 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 beep. And if you ever beep, 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 I'll tell you beep, 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 beep. And you can beep. No, O king, live forever. Years ago, a little girl in her Sunday school class was asked, how is it that Daniel survived the lion's den? Her answer was classic. She said it was because the lion of Judah was there. Yeah, that'll preach. Because the lion of Judah was there. Just as the lion of Judah had been with Daniel's friends in the furnace. You remember the ruler Daniel earlier served under, Nebuchadnezzar, there were two times when he really praised God, once after he witnessed the fiery furnace, but the most significant time after God brought him to his sanity and he put his faith in God. A and he commanded people everywhere to recognize the true and the living God. Well, Darius did the same thing. He issued a decree that was worthy of a Christian worship gathering. He instructed everyone in his kingdom to revere God and acknowledge God as the living God whose dominion will never end. Now, those words set the stage for the second half of the book of Daniel that we'll begin studying in two weeks because the first half is story of Daniel. The second half, Daniel's prophecies that look forward to the second coming of Christ, the final chapters of human history. That was all prophesied in detail centuries and centuries ago. We'll talk about things like the fact that Daniel said the times just prior to Jesus' return will be marked by an increase in human knowledge and an increase in the speed by which humans travel. Now think about that. Human knowledge in my lifetime has increased a thousandfold or more and less than a hundred years ago, the fastest human beings could travel was horseback. And now we break the sound barrier. Horseback after thousands of years of human history and in less than a century, now we break the sound barrier. We're seeing the explosion of knowledge. We're seeing the increase in speed. And if we know our Bible, we know something's coming. If we don't know our Bible, we'll be caught off guard. So he set the stage. He didn't know that, but he set the stage for the latter half. So the story of Daniel in the lion's den reminds us that in a fallen world we may face persecution. And it reminds us that believers who pray won't always be delivered from the lions. Sometimes the lions will have their lunch. 
Ask our brothers in parts of Africa, Indonesia, the Philippines, the Middle East, who have their throats slit, who have their daughters sold into slavery if they will not convert. So sometimes we won't be delivered from the lions, but the Lion of Judah will always, 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 always have the final word. The Jesus we worship is not a soft wuss. Sometimes the church has presented him that way, which is why so many men opt out of the church. Jesus was not a wuss. He is the Lion of Judah who created everything that is, who holds it together by the word of his power, who's one day got to reclaim his property, and all the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God, of his Christ. He will reign forever and ever. So no matter what the future holds, like Daniel, keep on praying. And if you haven't been praying, this would be a good time to start. Join me as we pray. Father, we confess that the earth is yours and the fullness thereof. The universe is yours. In your incredible grace, you allow us to make messes so that we can possibly come to discover your majesty. But you will not allow it forever. Father, we don't know what the future holds for us as Jesus followers in the Western world and in the United States. We may live out our days with ridicule but not persecution, or we may see our days be days of intense persecution, and we may not be able to fully live them out. We don't know. But, Father, whatever happens and whatever we already see happening, like Daniel, help us to keep on praying as an act of spiritual defiance and spiritual power. In Jesus' name, amen.